we did start this series, and it is called uh, How to Ruin Your Life. How, who wants to ruin your life? Who, who gets up thinking, I'm going to ruin my life today? <laughs> Some of you may think, I'm going to ruin someone else's life today, but we, we typically don't think that about ourselves, and I understand that. And so you may be thinking, ruin your life? Why would we want to ruin our life? Well, we're not ruining your life. What I'm trying to do is we're trying to warn you off of things that would ruin your life, and they're common things that we all struggle with. And for this series, we're doing it in conjunction with the kids' department, so if you have kids or up in kids' church right now, and Pastor John is leading them, you can, you can drive home and say, hey, did you guys talk about this or this? And, you know, so last week, <laughs> last week we started off with this, and, I, and it goes in line with that word today that, that God loves you. He wants the best life for you ever and he wants that for us i see a lot of people fanning themselves are y'all hot today is it warm <laughs> wow uh, maybe someone could help us with that thank you dave I, i'm i'm usually warm so i don't i try not to judge by me right mary miss mary she's shaking her head yes yes i try not to judge by me but yeah that many people are fanning that's unusual so well okay so we want to remind you at all times, God loves us. And these three scriptures, I hope you're starting to memorize these scriptures. Could you, could you all tell me what Jeremiah 29, 11 says? I know the plans I have for you. They are plans, says the Lord, they're plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. We serve a good God who wants good things for us. And how about John 10, 10? Um, there's no um. Okay, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, right? The thief's purpose is to kill, steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Good, good. And how about uh, James uh, 1.15? This is probably my favorite one. Or 17, sorry. I gave you the wrong reference. That's why you didn't know it, right? Okay, 117. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down from us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. That's who he is. Now, if you remember last week's sermon, we talked about, does anybody remember what it was? How do you ruin your life? This is a test now. Test on me. If all you do is what feels good, it probably will not end well. And we talked about the chaotic life that King David had. And because he was just following what felt good, his family ended up to be a disaster. After church, you know, a lot of people were talking to me about that. And it's always interesting to me what people pull out. Because you may not be aware of this, but the Holy Spirit continually does this. That, that he quickens certain things to our minds and speaks to us about things that we may be struggling with. That, that may be part of the sermon or the beginning or the end or something that God uses to minister. But yesterday, uh, one of the guys here at the church, he, he, uh, we were together later in the day and he, he sat by me and he said, you know, hearing about David's family realizes, makes me realize that with my family upbringing, I can do better. <laughs> oh, I didn't actually say that. I should have said that. We should have thought about the fact that no matter what your life has been up till this point, you can break that cycle. You can change things in your family. It doesn't have to go on the way it was. You know, I was thinking about years ago, I was driving as a youth pastor. You know, a lot of times you're driving the church van and kids, they're talking and they're having conversations. I'm not trying to eavesdrop, right? You understand that, right? Right? Some of you are shaking your head, no, I'm not. But they don't realize they're, they're talking facing me. I'm sitting this far away, they're talking right here, and they're just talking about their life. And, and these kids were talking about family, and one of them said, I don't think I want to be a father. And someone said, I don't think I want to be a mom either. And I, I'm hearing them talking, I'm, I'm, I'm confused, and at the same time kind of heartbroken. These are good kids. 
And basically they said, I don't want to do what my dad did. I don't want to do what my mom did. I don't want to live the life that I grew up in. And I, I turned the lights out in the van, and they're all like, whoa, whoa. I'm like, guys, it doesn't have to be that way. And they're like, you heard us? Yes, I heard every word, and I always do. You guys just talk, and I'm just hearing it. But you do not have to do the same thing. God, God redeems you, and he changes. And you can give a, have a life that, that, that your parents never provided because you can do it different. You can break that cycle. That's true. Amen. So how do you ruin your life today? There's what we're going to talk about today. We're going we're gonna to ruin your life this way. How many of you have um, been holding a grudge? Let's just, nobody? Seriously, come on. Okay, I saw a few little hands come up. Here's the thing. You know, we, we all do it, right? Pastor Newby used this phrase. I loved it. He, he talked about grudge collectors. Some people just hold grudges all the time, right? But, 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 but you know, grudges are one of those things that we all kind of struggle with it from time to time because... Things happen, right? You've been hurt by somebody, a friend or someone you loved or someone that loved you or maybe bullied. I mean, there's things that happen. What's weird about grudges, too, is it seems like there's no time limit on them. I mean, I hear people talking about something that maybe, maybe happened way back in high school or, or maybe when they were children and they, they talk about it or maybe something that had fallen apart, maybe at a special event, maybe a wedding or someone said something insensitive at a funeral or for whatever reason, something happened and you were deeply hurt and you carry it. And sometimes, I've been talking to people at times, and they're telling me about something that happened. You can tell it's a very painful memory. And as they talk, I realize, whoa, this is years ago. Not just yesterday or not, not last week, but, but we're talking 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Sometime, sometimes a lifetime ago. And what's sad is you choose to hold on to those hard feelings. And it seems like it, it, it varies. You know, sometimes it was really something evil, and sometimes it's... But, but I know you're sitting there, and you're probably thinking... It's normal, right? I mean, what could be wrong about it? It's normal. We all do it. There's so many things like that in life where, yeah, it's normal. But, but the thing is, when you hold a grudge, it really hurts you. And I don't know all your life stories, of course, you know, and you, you, you don't know mine necessarily. But here's, here's maybe a different way to look at it. I mean, holding a grudge does hurt you. And you probably never thought of it like this, but maybe you have. But the truth is, holding a grudge is a lot like this, kind of a backpack. And maybe you were bullied in school. Maybe that's something that happened to you, and it was a long time ago. But it was painful, and you think about it. And then when you get ready to send your kids to school, it's on your mind because you're thinking, I know what happened to me, and it changed the way I saw myself. It changed the way I saw other people, kept me from achieving things. It made me doubt. It made me not even go out for, for this team or that team. Here's what's really sad is you, you start to carry those things around. And at first it doesn't seem that heavy. I mean, this is not that bad. But then years later, those words that were said, you think them. I don't know if you've done this. I, uh, you know, over the years, you know, we've, you think about even what you're going to name your kids. How many of you went through this scenario where you thought, okay, if we named them this... Could they be teased for that? Anybody else go through that? Yeah. You know, my last name, it's an unusual name. It's Luce, L-U-C-E, but it's pronounced Luce. So many times people are afraid to even say it that way. They'll come up with all these other pronunciations to avoid saying Luce, as if that's a bad thing. But we thought about that. You know, we thought about our kids, like, for instance, Grace, who's here today from college. It's good to see you. And Tate is here. It's awesome. Uh, but we thought about, we were going to name her Isabel, and then we got to thinking, it sounds like we're asking a question, Isabel Luce? So we thought, oh, we can't, can't do that. 
Why do we do that? I mean, we want to protect our kids from some things, some pain that, that maybe you were walking around with, right? How about this? I don't know. I don't even know what this one is. Maybe you grew up and you felt like, like you were neglected or maybe your parents didn't do what they should do. And because of that, there develops just a bit of a grudge and you think, they shouldn't have done me that way. I, I deserve better. I should have, someone should have protected me. They should have thought about me. They should have cared for me. Maybe it's serious abuse. And that's legit, right? I mean, no one would blame you for carrying this around for your whole life, really, right? Because this is real, and it hurts, and it changes the way you see everything. It changes the way you see the world. It, it changes the way that you see you. I mean, this is physical. It's emotional. It's mental. Maybe, maybe you were left at some point. Maybe by a parent. Maybe by someone you cared about. Maybe you're abandoned. Maybe they, they said they would always be there, but they weren't. And you think you're over it, and then something comes up. Maybe you see something on TV or something on maybe a TV show that's remarkably similar to your situation, and that pain comes back, and you're like, all of a sudden, it's all there again. The grudge is there. It's real. Maybe somebody stole something from you. Maybe a real thing. Maybe it was a, someone who stole a relationship from you. People who've hurted you, people hurted you, people who've hurt you, they, they cheated you. People who, who gossiped about you and said things about you that you knew were not true, but everybody believed it. And then it, it changed the way you felt around certain crowds. And then you don't feel as comfortable as you used to because those are things that we carry around. And that doesn't, it's not limited to those things. It's just I didn't think I could carry that many bricks. Because what happens is we put them on and we carry them. And we don't even realize they're there at first, and then they spring back up. And you walk around with this weight that changes the way you see everything. It's a little uncomfortable, but you feel like you own it because it's something that's happened to you. Maybe it's a failed marriage, or maybe it's you were embarrassed and humiliated in front of friends or family. The thing is, a lot of times the people who did these things to you You carry it around, and they don't even know. They don't even think about it. It's as if they're living rent-free in your mind, worse, in your heart, and they don't even know. In some cases, they're not even around to even talk about anymore, and that's the last thing they've thought about, but you still carry it around. And it's a weight that changes what you do, and it affects your life, and it, it gives you pain, and it comes out in all these other ways. And you don't even know. They don't even know thing about it is when it happens you rehearse what was said over and over in your mind might affect and you you think you're good and then the high school reunion time comes up and you think oh god if i walk in there and they are there what am i going to do what if they say and you fill in the blank here's what's sad about grudges too when you carry them for a while you get you get better at carrying them Not only that, you get better at collecting more of them. Because you've already gotten in the habit of being a grudge collector, so you're now a little bit more offendable. And things that happen and you think, huh, happened again. They did that. Well, now they're just like that person. And I can't even, can't. Sad because we walk around and what we really do is we just keep picking those things up. 
And who are you hurting? You're hurting you. You're robbing yourself of the joy that God intended. All those verses we started with, those are true and those are real. And this is something that God never intended for you. But you pick it up and you carry it. And you keep carrying it. Someone really smart once said, it's like drinking poison and then hoping the other person dies. Well, there's a very familiar story in the Bible about a guy who had every reason. He had a lot of these he could have carried. But as we look through the story, he didn't do that. So I want us to take a look at his life for a minute. And as I tell you some of the details of his life, some of it you may be able to relate to, but some of it you're going to think, how could all this happen to one guy and him still be pure in his heart? Let me just tell you some of the characteristics and then some of you will figure out immediately who it is and the rest of us, I'll just tell you who it is. But here's a guy, he grew up in a family with 10 older brothers who hated him. They hated him and and a lot of it had nothing to do with who he was. Some of it, he may have made some bad choices and said some silly things, but the fact is, he grew up in a house where his 10 older brothers hated him. Very, very complicated family dynamics. You see, his father had two wives. Now, his mother was the favorite wife. There's a reason God doesn't want us to have more than one wife. I'm just saying, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, just saying. He was the son of the favorite wife. So he had brothers he lived with from the not favorite wife. You see how this could be issues? But it gets more complicated than that because both of those wives had struggled with having children. So as was common and still happens today just in a different way, you know, today we might have a surrogate situation. In their culture, what would happen is the handmaiden of the wife, she would give him to her husband to bear children for her. In the Bible, the way it words it, it says that she literally bore the babies on the mother's, on the, other, on the original wife's lap. So she adopted them as her children. But you know how it really is, right? Those were the servant wife children. And they were older than him too. So it gets so complicated because not only are these ten older brothers, uh, they're children of the unfavorite wife. They're also children of the servant wives of both of those. So he has all of these half-brothers. And then he is the youngest of the uh, now eleven So everybody knows he's the favorite. What makes matters worse is his father, not only is he the favorite of his father, but then the father goes to all this trouble to elevate him and give him this coat of many colors. And the Bible flat out says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. Now, as we read that story, it's interesting because you think, why would the dad set him up for failure like this? Well, it's interesting, too, because some of the things I was reading, it was interesting because they were saying that that at times that robe or a robe like that would designate you as the one in charge. So here's where it gets to be a little weird, because it's hard to know is if he was put in uh, over his brothers because he was gifted in administration, as we see later in the story. And his father may have recognized that ability, or if it was just because he was the favorite, and he was the younger. How many of you know that doesn't usually go over well? People don't like that. People don't like some, they don't like favoritism. They don't like it. You know how it is on your job. If somebody gets a position that you had wanted, and it looks like there was no merit involved, but instead it was just because they were the favorite, right? 
Nobody likes that. So we see the situation raising. In fact, in this case, his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them, and they couldn't say a kind word to him. I was looking at that, that kind word, and I was wondering, I wonder what that kind word is. That actually is, you know how in the Middle East they say peace to you? Salam. How do, how do you say it? Salam. That's what that is. They couldn't even say that. They couldn't even say good morning. That's how deeply they hated him. And then, when Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. Now, before we read any further, let's do some math. He's 17. He's the youngest of 10. Those other brothers are not only older, they're grown men with families. Joseph's in charge of them. Think of that. Let that sink in for a minute. How's that going to make you feel? And then it says, he worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah, but Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Great. Yeah. Okay. So you see this is getting complicated. It's a very complicated family situation. Um, but I don't know if it, he deserved all of this. But to make it worse, one night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Because in the dream, he actually had two t- dreams two different times, and I, I don't know why he would be so not smart to tell his brothers, but in both cases, the dreams implied that his brothers would serve him and that he would be over them. And likely, he was already being put in charge of them, and likely, he was already in a place where they already hated him for that kind of thing, and then he goes bragging about all that. In fact, when he tells his father about the dream, the Bible indicates that his father says, wait a minute, are are me and your mother now going to serve you? I mean, it gets really complicated. So then the favorite wife, Joseph's mother, dies in childbirth to his younger brother. And then, if you read the story in line, the eldest brother, Reuben, goes in and has sex with one of the servant wives, probably trying to assert his authority as the oldest son. Here's what we don't see as Americans. You know how the inheritance worked back then? You didn't have anything unless your father gave it to you. And the normal way it was is that everything would be divided evenly, but the eldest son would get a double portion. So if there are, let's just say, 10 kids, so it's easy math for me, okay? You would actually divide everything by 11, and the oldest child would get two of those portions. So I'm sure the brothers are saying, hold on a minute. Not only are we older and we deserve more, We've been working for our father all these years. We've actually earned all these things. And here's this young kid who comes in, and he's the favorite. He gets the coat. He gets to watch over us and and report on us. And now he gets put in charge. I wonder if dad is going to actually give him the double portion. How unfair would that be? You can see the hate. You can see the distrust. You can see all that growing in them growing and growing so probably what Reuben was doing was trying trying to establish himself as the oldest and over everybody incredible crazy crazy nightmare of a family too so dad sends this younger son out to check on his brothers because the brothers were were watching sheep in another area so then the brothers have had enough and they see him coming from afar off and they plan to kill him that's the first thing But Reuben, the oldest, intervenes and says, let's not do that. Let's just throw him in this pit, which at first, on one hand, sounds evil. On the other hand, it's less, it's at least they're not killing him. So then, evidently, Reuben wasn't there. And it looks like Judah suggests, hey, let's sell him into slavery. Then we can, we can make money off the whole situation too. And then uh, Reuben comes back later, finds him not in the pit. I mean, it's just complicated mess. So then the brothers have to figure out, what do we tell dad? 
So they take his coat, that beautiful coat, they dip it in some kind of animal blood, they go to his father, and the Bible talks about how they hand him the coat, and the dad just falls apart. This was the son of his beloved Rachel, and he's dead. Interesting, though, think about this. Remember what Jacob was called? The deceiver? Look what happens to him. He deceived his father and his brother, and now his own sons deceive him. So if you know the rest of the story, what ends up happening is, is um, <clears throat> um, he's sold to the head of Pharaoh's guard. Do you wonder at this point if he starts holding a grudge? Would you? I mean, seriously, he shouldn't have said that stuff he did about the dreams. I get that. I mean, he probably was supposed to report on his brothers, but was it his fault he was born last? I mean, how many of you are babies in the family? (laughs) Those hands went up high. Wow, Marcia, that went really high. How many of your older brothers and sisters mocked you for being the baby? Oh, you're just the baby. They're always easier on you and all that, right? Is it your fault, though? It's not your fault. You're the baby. I mean, okay, now this may sound weird, but is it your fault that mom and dad like you better? (laughs) All I'm saying is, as he's growing up, I wonder if there was any point where Joseph said, guys, I, it's not my fault. I'm your brother. Can't you love me like you love each other? And they couldn't. So I wonder if at that point, some seeds of grudge would start to fall in there. Is it his fault he was good in administration? Is it his fault God gave him dreams? I don't know. But then justice, he, he was working in the house of Pharaoh's guard, Potiphar, and then um, then just as things are going good, the wife starts making passes at him, and he tries to fend her off, and he says here, Joseph refused. He said, look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in, my, you're in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Don't you think at this point, Joseph might have thought, all of this crummy stuff has happened to me all my life. Why not take advantage? But he didn't. His heart remained pure through all that. (laughs) How about the grudge? Because you know what happens? He gets thrown into an Egyptian prison. I don't know about you, but I've been in prisons like in Mexico, visiting people. Uh, You do not want to go to prison in a foreign country. I'm just saying, you don't. It's not a nice place to be. I wonder if he sat there on the ground, because I'm sure he was chained at some point to the ground and Think about this. He was there for a crime he didn't commit, a life he didn't choose, put there by brothers who hated him his entire life. Don't you think the bitterness would have seeped in? And look, I don't know how this applies to necessarily every one of us. All I know is this, that as he was sitting there in prison, the Bible says God blessed him and that his administrative skills once again brought him to the forefront into leadership. And then God uses him. He uses him to do some amazing things. He interprets these dreams for a baker and the cupbearer to the king. Because both of them were in prison for different things. And he, they, they have dreams. And God gives him the ability to interpret the dreams. So he interprets the dreams. And as they get, they get released and they go up to the see Pharaoh, he says to him, don't forget me in here. And guess what happens? Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. I wonder what he thought then. Do you think he was mad at him? Do you think he ever said something like this? If I ever get out of here, if I ever see that guy again, we don't see that. 
Because what ends up happening is Pharaoh has a dream. And in Pharaoh's dream, he has these dreams that, that can't, he can't interpret. So he calls all his people in. And then the cupbearer thinks of Joseph and says, wait a minute, I knew a guy in prison. I don't know if that's a good way to lead, but that's what he said. And so they go and they get Joseph. They clean him up. They bring him in. Joseph interprets the dream. The dream is like this. The, the answer to the dream, the interpretation is there's going to be seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine. And so what he says is he adds on to that. God gives him this wisdom and he says, if I were you, king, Pharaoh, I would put someone in charge of this, someone who's going to manage all those wonderful years so that the country can make it through those lean years. And the Pharaoh says, you know what? I do think we should do that. And I think it should be you. And Joseph is elevated to the second in the kingdom. <laughs> it's, it's a crazy story. It's crazy because <clears throat> as I think about it, None of us would think this maybe, but do you think he was ever sitting in his really nice plush surroundings and thinking, I wonder what my brothers are doing right now? Do you think? Do you realize he was part of the most powerful nation in the world at the time? Do you realize that really with just a word, he probably could have had somebody go and take care of his brothers for him? I mean, I know you may not think like that because you're good people. Not that I am bad and I think like that. I'm just thinking... If you're holding a grudge and all of a sudden you have the power to for payback, would you take it? Would you do it? And then just as God is, what he does is he brings those brothers into Egypt. They're running out of food too. So as the story goes, they come to Egypt because they need food. Can you imagine that day? Joseph is managing all the food distribution and he sees these 10 brothers come in. Not just five, not just four, all of them. I wonder, don't you think the thought had to cross his mind? Oh, my goodness. This is going to be fun, right? So they come in. And as we look at the story, they come in, and, he, and he, he's talking to them, and he, he tells them, okay, who are you? And I think you guys are spies. And he's, he's kind of testing them, messing with them. And he says, and is this all of you? And they say, well, we do have one brother at home, and we have one brother who's not with us anymore. Now, he knows all this. And because he's dressed like an Egyptian, looks like an Egyptian, and it's like 17, 18 years later, he's, he was 17, now he's, in his, he's 30 or so. They don't recognize him. They don't know who he is. He's speaking through an interpreter. He knows the whole time. So as they tell him about all this, he says, okay, I'll give you food this time. But if you ever need more food and you come back, you have to bring that brother. And they're like, oh, my goodness. And what's really cool is you get to see their internal conversation because they start talking to each other. You know, you've probably been around people who speak other languages and, you know, there's times where they may be speaking in English and then they'll step back and speak in whatever their, their native language is to each other. And you don't have to whisper because you know he doesn't speak your language. But Joseph is hearing this whole thing and they start to say, do you think this happened because of what we did to Joseph? <laughs> I don't know how he stopped from interrupting or doing something then, but he didn't. He let it play out. And then what he did is he told, he told his administrator, put, put all their money back in their bags, and he sent them home. So on the way home, they find this money, and they're like, what are we supposed to do? I don't know. And they're afraid of Joseph because he's in charge of all this, and he spoke to them with an angry voice and all that. So they go home, and then right away they tell their dad, we need more food. But the dad says, well, no, I, I, I can't send you back, and I'm not sending you back with Benjamin. Benjamin is Joseph's little brother. And they go, 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 and all this, and then eventually what ends up happening is Judah, the Bible says Judah, is the one who steps up and he convinces his father and he says, 
if I don't bring him back, you can take all of my kids. He puts himself on the line for Benjamin. So they come back. Now at this point, again, I'm wondering about the grudge thing. Aren't you wondering? <laughs> oh my goodness. Because what ends up happening is, here's what, Joseph does have a little fun with them. And as I was reading through these commentaries, trying to figure out, was Joseph getting a little payback or what was he doing? And most of them feel like what he was actually doing was testing his brothers. He wanted to see if they had grown or changed or matured. He wanted to see if they were going to throw his little brother under the bus because now that would have been the only son of the favorite wife, right? What would he have done to them? That's probably why he asked, is that brother alive? Because he didn't know. Because he knew what they did to him. They intended to kill him, threw him in a pit, then sold him off into slavery. So what would they have done to the little brother? So then when the brother's there, what he does is, right before this verse right here, he sends them off with the food, but this time he puts their money back, and this time he puts his favorite cup in Benjamin's bag. Then he knows he did all this. So then he sends, you know, like the army after him. They catch up to him, and they said, you've stolen from my master. Brings him back, and he says, okay, one of you has to be a slave for this, and it has to be the one whose uh, cup the bag was in, or the bag the cup was in. And this is what Judah says. Please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. Let the boy return with his brothers, for how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish that would cause my father. I I don't know about you, but as I read this story, I think, I don't know if I would have been as pure-hearted as Joseph. I'd like to think I was, but I don't know, because I know what I do with little grudges, right? Like you? (laughs) I mean, things that people have done to me or said to me years and years ago, and I, I carry them around. And they, they come back at the weirdest times. It might be, might be a, a, a thought that crosses through my mind or something I see or, you know, how smells even can trigger memories and, you know, uh, and you, you hold a grudge. It's the weirdest thing. I thought of what the other day and I wasn't going to tell you, but now I am. Um, I was, I teach at Summit Christian and I had gone through, the, it was, I got invited to be part of this football thing and have you ever smelled football players' gear? <laughs> It's just one of those smells. It doesn't, you know, I mean, I've never smelled that at my house, thank God. It's not like that. It's a, it's a, it's a combination of, of, it's just gross, all right? It just is. I mean, it's foot and body, and it's gross. And it shot me all the way back to middle school. And I remembered, and I know it's different now, but I remembered being a seventh grader, brand new, and scared. Anybody remember that? And we all had to shower. It was just different than today. And I remember these older guys grabbed a kid and threw him outside naked. And I remember we were all just embarrassed for him, shamed, scared, and then scared to death, right? And I remember the guy who did that, and he was a bully and a jerk. And every time I saw him, I hated him for that other kid. It didn't happen to me. I know it's weird, but I've held a grudge for 30-some years toward a kid. I can't even remember his name. I will never forget his face. Do you hear me? We do that. And I look at Joseph and I think, he had all the power in the world. He could have done anything to them and no one would have questioned him. No one. He, had, he was a second in charge. He would have just had to say the word and every bit of revenge would have been enacted on his behalf. And it would have been done. And he didn't do that. 
And when he heard this, I'll bet you what it did for him was to say, okay, Judah, you might have been that then, but look at him now, willing to give his life for the brother and not willing to cause his, his father grief. There's growth there. And, and so just, let's just move on with the story because it goes, it, it goes more. I mean, there's so much detail. If you want to read that, I think you should. But Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room, and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. I've read that verse a million times and never thought through this for a minute. I always thought Joseph was trying to protect himself there because he probably didn't want them to know that he was a Hebrew or that he was these people or whatever. But I think what he was actually doing was protecting his brothers. Because you realize what would have happened to them if they would have known the whole story? Joseph was a revered man, and he was respected, second in power. And if somebody knew what his brothers had done for him to end up in that position, I'll bet you they would have taken care of that on their own. I think what he was doing here was protecting them, not himself. And then he goes on, look at this. Don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And then look at this. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive, to preserve many survivors. So it is God who sent me here, not you. And as he's the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. He chose to look at this differently. He didn't carry the grudge. I don't know how he did it. I've got some ideas that I'm going to recommend to you, but he didn't carry the grudge. He, he instead chose to look on it. And then look at what he does next. Weeping with joy, he embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same, and it doesn't stop there. Look what he does. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them, and after that, they began talking freely with him. I don't know. I I don't know. I I feel like there's times where I, I like to hold a grudge because I deserve it, and they're really bad people. And they've done really bad things. I, I feel like there's times where I feel like um, if I forgive them, then in a way it means that it's okay what they did. But that's not true. Sometimes I wonder if, if I forgive, it means that, that maybe what they did wasn't so bad or it's all over now. But that's not true either. Just a little thing thought, how afraid do you think they were when they said, I'm Joseph? (laughs) After all they'd already been through, don't you think they were just shaking with fear? I mean, they probably thought, it's over. We are done. And probably very painfully done. But when do you think Joseph forgave his brothers? I'm just asking. The Bible doesn't say. I'm just asking. When do you think he forgave? When he was in the pit? When he was chained up and walking behind a caravan of smelly camels, you realize he walked from where they were all the way to Egypt as a captive. Do you think he forgave him when he was on the the slave auction block? Do you think he forgave him then? Do you think maybe he forgave him when he was put in charge of Potiphar's house because it was all good? I don't know. I, I ask that in a facetious way because I do not know. I do know this, he forgave. And he forgave them, and they didn't deserve it. I know he forgave, 
And I'll bet you that he forgave them early because it allowed him to be the man that God chose and wanted him to be all those years. How did he do it? I don't know. But I do know this. I've, I've seen this, this repeated on Facebook a few times in the last few weeks, and it's just it's really kind of a deep thought. If you never heal from what hurt you, you'll bleed on people who didn't cut you. I wish I thought of that. I didn't think that. And maybe you've heard this one. Hurt people hurt people. I don't know when he forgave. Was he hurt? He was hurt. Was it wrong what happened to him? Yes, horribly wrong. But did he forgive? Yes, he did. And had he not, he could have, he could have and would have been a painful person to be around and probably enacted pain on a lot of other people. But here's the thing. When you, when you forgive, you actually, you actually become not only a better person for you, but a better person to be around. I know that um, I told you this a few weeks ago that basically what we do here every Sunday is a persuasive speech. You know what I'm trying to persuade you to do today? Here's the first thing. I want you to own the fact that you've been hurt and that you're carrying a grudge. Every one of us are. I know you are because you're human like me. And even you don't understand what it's like to prepare a sermon like this and have to walk through the grudges. You don't. And I'm like, oh, God, I can't get up there without taking care of this. And then we keep going. I'm like, oh, I need to take care of it. I didn't even know. You know what I would have rather? Just not even dealt with some of this and just because the grudges are comfortable sometimes. I've been carrying them a long time. I don't know how life would be without it. If I can't be mad at this person anymore or, or angry at them for what they've done and, and hold them responsible till the end of time. But if you would own it today and choose to face the fact that there are those grudges, they are there and I, look, what, what you need to do is you need to trust God for the justice. You could never get justice anyway. It would never feel as good as you think it would. If you could just say that one thing or put them in their place or get them back for what they did or say that or embarrass them like they embarrassed you or hurt them, or you, it would never feel as good as you think. And if you really trust God that he's a loving and caring God, you need to leave it to him. I'm going to overwhelm you with five scriptures real quick why you should forgive. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. I actually had someone once say, okay, so I'm at like 60, so yeah. That, that's not what Jesus meant. But can we go back there for a second? Really? You have to forgive every time? Well, Jesus did. So, in Corinthians, Paul says, I'm not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Evidently, someone in the church had been done something very painful to people in the church. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement, so I urge you now to reaffirm your love for him. That's amazing. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Wait a minute. Anyone? Okay. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. It's kind of not fair, right? Really? We have to be like Jesus? One more. Love is patient and kind. 
Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own weight. It's not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. Keeps no record of being wronged. It can't be a grudge collector. It does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. How do you do that? Here's how you do it. You forgive daily, all by yourself, in your own power, by force of will. Right? No. God doesn't do that to us. He doesn't say, hey, get over it. Just get over it. Walk it off. Right? Get out there, walk it off. You're fine. He doesn't do that. What he does is he gives us the example and he forgives. But I do want to emphasize this. You do need to forgive and sometimes daily. And as you do that, you need to ask him for help because he wants you to forgive. He wants you to be free and he will help you to do that. Here's what you need to do. You need to own what those things are. You need to take them off. You need to pull them out. And one by one, just get rid of these things. Sometimes it's hard because I've been carrying that a long time. It's like a friend now. I've known him for a long time. In fact, I feel like I, I believe I could fly. I believe I could touch the sky. Just kidding. <clears throat> Are you going to take them out? Because it's up to you. It's up to you. Here, so funny, because I, I wish we could just say, God, just take care of all that. And he would. But that's not how our mind works, and that's not how it works. You have to actually be honest and say, God, yes, I'm carrying this. You know, uh, Psalm says, search me, O God, and know my heart. God, are there things I'm holding up? And then if there are, you need to deal with it. You need to own it and ask him to help you. And then it might take a long time for you to get over this one. But don't put it back in the bag. It's up to you. It's up to you. Take it out and leave it out. A lot of times we take them out, we pray about them. And then we just start putting them back in and pick it up again. God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to leave it here and leave it alone and leave it done. Let me say one more thing about this, and that is this. Joseph reconciled with his brothers. They knew what they did. He knew what they did. They talked about it. Then what's sad is this. When he gets ready, um, when, when their father dies... Later, they bring his dad to Egypt and all that. When his father dies, his brothers all get together and they say, oh no, dad's dead. I bet now he's going to kill us. All those years later, they carried the guilt and they still weren't done. And Joseph comes to them in tears and says, brothers, it's over. It's gone. It's buried. It's done. For some of you, reconciliation is possible. Some it's not. Because the person who hurt you is like that guy. He didn't even do it to me. I don't even know his name. I need to be done with that. I mean, for some of us, it's, it's scars you'll never be. They'll never go away. But, but, but the reconciliation needs to be done. For some people, though, I've seen this done where they'll use that kind of as a weapon. And that's not healthy. You need to pray about that if you need to talk to somebody or not. I'm going to ask us to do this for a minute. If you could shut your eyes with me, please. Started off right now just saying, I don't know what you're carrying. I don't. Sometimes you can tell somebody's carrying a heavy burden. You can just tell in their face, or you can tell their reaction to things, or you can tell, you know, the anger or the tears. Or you, Sometimes you can tell, but I don't know. You know. And as we've been talking today, perhaps the Holy Spirit has brought some things to your mind or memory, and you realize, I've got some grudges that I need to deal with. 
that you need to own. You need to ask God to forgive, and then you need to forgive somebody. Let me just quickly ask, is there anybody like that? You've got some things you realize you need to give away and give to God and get out of your life. Anybody at all, just raise your hand real quick. I appreciate that, because that's the first step in getting God to heal. That's it. Let me ask the, the really important question, though. Is there anybody here who maybe, um, maybe you wouldn't even consider yourself a Christian, yet you, you've been around church, you've been to church, or maybe you had followed Christ, but for whatever reason, you've walked away, or you, you, yet, you haven't accepted him into your life and, and given him that place. But this morning, as we've been talking, you realize there's forgiveness for you there and that you serve a God. There's a God who loves you that much that he would send his son to take your place and pay for your sin and you want to be free of all that. Anybody like that here today? You raise your hand and we could pray for you that you would want to become a Christian today. Anybody at all? I do see that hand in the back. I see that hand. Anybody else? Let's do this together if we would. I, I want to pray about our grudges, but first, let's, let's pray it together. If you would repeat after me, we're just going to pray a prayer together. And, and this prayer basically is us acknowledging that we've done things wrong, basically saying that we want God to come in and come into our life. Would you repeat after me? Father God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done that were wrong. I want you to come in and change me and forgive me. I want to live for you and not for me. Please change my life. Amen. Man, God does that in a simple prayer. For the rest of us, I want to pray for you. Let me just pray for us. Because I know that we carry things. And I know it's a lot harder than just having a backpack up here with some bricks. I know that. I know that because I've been working through that all week and continue to. If you raised your hand a few minutes ago saying that you do have some grudges you realize that you need to work on, or even if you didn't, I want you to join me in prayer right now, and I want to pray for you that God would help you to forgive and bring that peace that he wants for every one of us. Father, I pray for everyone in this room this morning, those who have raised their hand, those who did not. Father, for any of us who are carrying things that we just need to let go of, and I pray that you would help us to do that. God, whether the person deserves forgiveness or not, you, we leave that to you and trust you for that. And we need healing today for the pain that was caused. And we pray, God, that you would come in, that you would heal that pain, that you would relieve it from us, that you would let us let down that grudge and let it go. And I pray you would take that from us and give us the freedom that we so desperately need in you this morning, right now, in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, as we... Go to bed tonight as we wake up in the morning. If we need to repeat that and ask for, to, to be done with it again and you would help us to forgive, that you would help us to do that. We trust you for all those things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, God bless you.